You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hey, everybody. And today... We have a special guest, Casey McLaughlin. Say hi, Casey. Hello. Casey is a mortgage loan officer with U.S. Bank, and today we wanted to bring Casey on to talk about physician mortgage loans. And uh, full disclosure, Casey has worked directly with me and some of my clients all over the country. Um, you know, I know he's done a decent job for a number of people, probably some of you listeners as well. And um, you know, U.S. Bank, they're able to lend in all 50 states except New York, which is convenient if I need to refer uh, a lender to someone. Uh, you know, it's a pretty easy. Oh, they can likely do it where you live. But um, there's a number of of uh, mortgage companies out there that do physician loan programs. A number of them uh, are regional, so depending on where you live, there may be some others that that can offer some competitive products for you. But uh, excited to have Casey on to talk about. Uh, physician mortgage loans, pros and cons, you know, how they differ from conventional loans and really give you some insight into that if if it uh, makes sense for you to pursue for your next or possibly first mortgage. So thanks for joining us, Casey. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Hey, Casey, could you start just by telling us a little bit about doctor mortgage loans or physician home loans and how they differ from more conventional loans for people like Corey and I? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, when I first started, you know, I didn't even know that there was such a thing, right? And uh, as I started to get into the world of lending, you know, I thought one of my peers were like, well, yeah, you can you know, do a physician loan. And I thought, well, what, what, what is that? You know, and, and basically come to find out that, you know, physician loan is for medical doctors, uh, specifically uh, MDs and DOs. And uh, it, the biggest thing is it doesn't require mortgage insurance for a lower down payment. Now that lower down payment can vary, you know, anywhere from some lenders that may do 0% up to other lenders that, you know, may do 10%. Um, I can say specifically U.S. Bank, uh, we offer that that 10% down. That's the, the lowest down payment. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it just can be a big game changer for uh, clients that, you know, just may not have that, that big down payment available, but they, they have that the income, um, you know, to support that, that payment. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's a interesting, uh, a product that I've been able to like, like Corey said, help a lot of, uh, clients with. So, so what is, what exactly is the, the mortgage insurance and, you know, is there a typical cost for that? And yeah, and you'll have to forgive me. I have a few notes in front, in front of me. So I, I mean, as far as, you know, the mortgage insurance, uh, you know, it's, it, depends on the really the loan amount right so the the rate really can depend on it, it can range anywhere from like a half percent to up to five percent of the original loan amount so it, it is going to vary uh, you know if it's a smaller loan obviously smaller amount bigger loan bigger amount an example I could give you is you know if the borrower borrowed one hundred fifty thousand which hey that's not realistic <laughs> these days but they borrowed one hundred fifty thousand and the annual premium cost one percent. The borrower would pay fifteen hundred dollars each year, or one hundred and twenty-five dollars per month. So again, as the loan amount gets higher, yeah, that that premium is going to be higher. And essentially, it's there to protect the lender if the borrower was to essentially default on that loan payment, right? So it, it's it's just like any insurance; it just protects uh, protects an individual or a company. And is that like something that's pretty much just automatic if you're putting? A non-doctor putting less than twenty percent down, there's, they're almost certainly going to have mortgage insurance. Is that? Um, there, there is, but there's actually on the. If we're not talking about the physician loan, there is what you might hear of the term lender-paid mortgage insurance. So if you had a at a loan where maybe a, a rate was, uh, let's say it was at a four percent, if they were paying mortgage insurance, maybe the lender-paid mortgage insurance may be. Uh, 
4.5%, but there's actually no mortgage payment. So the, the lender needs to make up some of the difference, so they end up charging a little bit of a higher rate. So there is in the, in the, in the non, you know, physician loan world, there, there is an option, but you're, you're, you're typically going to pay for it. Yeah, you're paying for it one way or another. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So aside from being able to put less than 20% down and not having that private mortgage insurance, is, are there any other benefits for doctor loans or anything like that? You know, I was kind of thinking about that question. And, uh, you know, this is something where it would make more cash available for the borrower in the sense of, you know, especially for some of your guys' uh, clients, maybe making uh, payments to cover student loan payments. Right. So if they're trying to get that knocked out quicker, it'll, it frees up, you know, more money that they may have on hand to get that out of the way. Or if they, uh, want to, you know, invest for their future, um, you know, it allows them to put more money away monthly for, you know, that retirement, uh, when they finally reach it. So, you know, that, that would be, that would be one thing. Um, one of the other things that I learned, uh, early on too is that we can actually use, uh, a future employment contract. So, for example, if somebody's, let's say they're within, maybe they're six months, uh, within six months of completing the residency, but they have obtained a, a contract with their employer, um, we can actually use that contract to qualify them. You know, so they, typically they're going to have a, a lot, a, a lot lower income in the residency than they will in their, in their future employment, right? And so as long as we get uh, a signed contract by the employer, uh, we can, we can use that. We then just reach out and get a, a, a written verification of employment confirming that that contract is actually valid, right? Signed by manager um, and whatnot. And then, uh, yeah, we use that income. So um, that's that's not something that all, um, all borrowers are able to have access to. Um, and then this kind of goes in combination with this, but also you're able to then uh, close early uh, on a, or when I say close early, um, if let's say, for example, somebody's moving across country out to Oregon, uh, which where we're located and they, uh, they want to close, you know, 60 days before they're starting their job, we are actually able to use, um, you know, that, that new employment to allow them to close, get out here, move into the house, even though their job hadn't fully started yet. That makes sense. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, definitely some uh, some advantages there. Maybe able to use future income for residence fellows. You know, Rochelle and I will say there's obviously some risk to that. If the job falls through, you're still on the hook for the mortgage. But um, but you know, for a lot of you, it's a you know, nice perk there for sure. And then um, in terms of so if, like if you're putting less down, doing a physician loan, if you pursue one of the uh, doctor loans, are, are, are the fees and the interest rates going to be different than if they did a conventional loan or, or is it pretty much the same? You know, for us, the fees are straight across the board. Um, you know, the, the really the only fluctuation in um, the, the closing cost fees, so we're talking about, you know, appraisal, uh, the origination fee, the, the titles are going to vary. The title fees are going to vary depending on your loan amount, right? But that doesn't really matter lender to lender. Um, but what can vary is sometimes the rates. Um, you know, I actually was curious on where that was. And today, before we started our call, I actually, I did look and surprisingly enough, and it's usually flipped and it just depends on where we are with, uh, stuff going on in the world and whatnot, but our physician loan rate was actually lower today <laughs> by, by almost a quarter of a point, which usually it's flipped. Right. Um, but it, it's just one of those where our physician loans, we hold to on, on, hold on to as a company, which we would call, you know, our portfolio. And so we have a little bit more, uh, control over how we price the price, the loans, but historically they're, they're either very similar or just a little bit higher, for the physician loans. So, um, yeah. Can you talk about that briefly, like the portfolio loan versus a, a conforming loan? Like with the difference between the two there, like one that you'd sell out to a Franny or Fetty or something. Yeah. So, um, like you were saying with a conforming loan, 
basically at the end of the day when the loan is fully funded and closed you know, within a month or two, that, that loan actually gets sold to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And so from a servicing standpoint, though, that's one thing with U.S. Bank. We do not sell the servicing. So we actually hold on to that loan for the whole life. Now, with the portfolio loan that you're asking, um, that is something where it stays on our books. So we, you know, we underwrite it, we process it, we close it, and then that always stays with us. So it's never, you might hear people say, oh, I got my loan sold three different times, you know, within the first year. Well, we don't, we don't do that uh, with our portfolio loans too. And one of the other differences is there is a couple additional requirements as far as with the portfolio loans where you might hear um, a reserve requirement. So for example, if let's say your payment was $2,000 a month and your loan was under uh, a million, we would say, oh, okay, well, we need to have six months worth of reserves. So that would be $12,000, right? On the conventional side with the Freddie and Fannie, as long as it's a primary residence, there's no there's no reserves requirements. So um, the good thing to know about that, though, too, is some people say, well, I don't have an extra $12,000. You can use any type of... Uh, Retirement accounts, investment accounts, if needed. Uh, on the retirement account, it can only be seventy percent of the of the uh, the retirement dollar amount. But it's just you know it's a, a good thing to know because some people, especially if they're coming right out of their uh, you know their residency, they may have put some away, but it may not be a you know a, a super large amount. But maybe they were able to put money away for the retirement, right? So hopefully that uh, answers that question. <laughs> Yeah, that so is like something we come across one. a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say that that is something we come across a lot with clients where they expect like if they're going to do a zero percent physician home loan, they can come to the table with nothing. And and that's a common misconception I feel like people have. It's like they the bank wants to see that you can make your mortgage payment. There are going to be closing costs like there's all these different things that, you know, require some amount of, of cash or, like you said, Casey, retirement reserves or something like that to demonstrate that there's some money available. Yeah. Now, one thing I, I didn't mention, though, too, that's a good thing to know is you say, well, yes, you need to come to the table with something. A lot of times you're able to get gifted funds, though, too. So if you're fortunate to have a family member that would be willing to gift you some of those funds, those funds can be used for down payment, closing costs, uh, the the reserves requirement, uh, really anything. So that, that's definitely something, uh, that can happen. And I'm pretty sure I've, I've done that with some of the clients you, uh, affinity group has referred to me. I think there's been a couple, uh, individuals that were fortunate enough to have that be able to be an option. So that, uh, I'm kind of glad you brought up that point. Cause I forgot about the gift funds piece. Are there any drawbacks to doing a doctor loan over a conventional loan and if so, what are they? Well, I kind of already touched base on one a little bit earlier, um, just more talking about if it's a lower down payment, um, you know, than that 10% that we offer. Uh, you know, I would say kind of like potential losses. And what I mean by that is um, I actually found a statistic that was saying that 12.4% of second and third year doctors leave their practice um, for a new job, right? That and so- low. It, to me, honestly, <laughs> man, maybe it's higher. I mean, that's, you know, that's just a, a quote that I found, but I mean, essentially if you're, you know, if you're forced to then have to sell in a bad market and you only put either 0% or 5% and even again, even 10%, um, you might have to, you know, if write a check to get out of it, you know? So, I mean, it's, it, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that could be a, you know, a negative, um, and again, I keep beating it up with it, but the comment about yeah, if you only have five or ten percent, and uh, and you, uh, you just don't like the house, maybe it's not even a, a job situation. Um, it, yeah, it it just can be a situation that you could get in trouble with putting such a low down payment out. Now that could happen with putting twenty percent down too, right? I mean, it's been such an appreciating market for most of the U.S. over the last what five years. Um, but yeah, it's always a, it's always a gamble that you take. But I mean, other than other than that, we had touched base. You know, usually it could be the interest rate would be a tad bit higher in a physician loan. It just really kind of depends on the times, because um, like I said, historically ours have always been a little bit higher for the physician loan. But as of today, they're they're different. 
Um, but other than that, I, to be honest, I can't really think of any. I mean, it's a it's a pretty solid op- option for for those fit doctors out there. Yeah, a lot of the risks that we talk about our clients with, it's not like they're specific to physician loans necessarily. It's just if you put a low down payment down, you probably don't have very much equity and that that's an issue if you're going to sell, whether it's a physician home loan or not. Um, so yeah, lots of things to consider when you're moving and getting settled and, and you want to pencil in some wiggle room for uncertainty in your job situation and everything like that too. I mean, just do the basic math. If you put 5% down and then you need to sell your home and pay a real estate agent 6% to sell it, you're already at negative 1%. And that doesn't even include any of the closing fees and, you know, cost to spruce up your home to get ready to sell it, moving expenses, things like that. So, um, you know, now if your home appreciates in value, it might all work out. But if your home goes down in value, which we've seen happen before in history. Um, you know, if anyone's, you know, lived through the, the, the early to mid two thousands and owned a home, they know real estate doesn't always go up in value. So, you know, there are some, some drawbacks to putting less of a down payment for sure. Yep. And even if you put down 20%, it's not like you didn't lose that money. It's just that you you didn't have to come out of, um, like come up with it out of pocket to get out of the house. <laughs> like you still lost that money in terms of like how much equity you were able to pull out of it. But Casey, when people are looking around for mortgages, how do you suggest that they approach shopping the mortgage to get the, the best deal for their circumstances? Yeah, you know, when I was reviewing these questions, just one I I I really liked because I think it's important to to, in my opinion, address really three main three main things. Um, to be the one I wanted to start it off with is to say, really make sure you're confident with the loan officer that you're working with. I I think some people just get so focused on, oh my gosh, this is the best rate, and at the end of the day, yes, of course we want to make sure we're getting, you know, the rate that's going to be the best for us. But I just had a, you know, a, a couple of horror stories where somebody's worked and I'm not going to, you know, name any names, but some companies where they just, uh, you know, started out and, you know, it's supposed to be a week before closing. All of a sudden they're like, Oh, whoops, actually we can't do it. So having somebody that's experienced that knows what they're doing and that you honestly just have a good feeling about too. And most of us, I feel like can, can figure that out in the first couple of minutes that we're talking with somebody, right? Or is this just a salesperson that's just, you know, trying to get my business or do they truly understand my picture and, and uh, understand what, I, you know, what I want and, and whatnot. So I, I think that to be honest, that that's probably the biggest piece. Um, but, you know, as I touched on just a second ago, I mean, yeah, rate shop, right? Um, you want to make sure you're getting the best deal out there. And, you know, honestly, if there's, even if there's a company that you're like, I a hundred percent want to go with, you know, ABC mortgage, but, uh, you know, maybe, uh, mortgage.com has a, you know, has a better rate. You know, what I can tell you is all mortgage companies are out there to compete, right? So if you find out that, you know, mortgage.com actually has a lower rate, get a, get a, you know, get a loan estimate from them and, and go back to ABC mortgage and say, Hey, I got this, you know, this rate from mortgage, you know, mortgage.com. Can you guys match it? And I would say nine times out of 10, they're going to match it, right? Because at the end of the day, they want your business. So make sure you're shopping, not just, not, don't just go to one lender. And, you know, I'm incredibly loyal to US Bank. I've been a customer since I was like 10 days old, right? My mom opened a savings account for me and, and I've had it since, right? So I did my mortgage with US Bank, but I actually, my wife had an account at Rivermark. And so I was like, let's go and, you know, see if, if they can offer something better and, uh, end of the day, U.S. Bank was the better option, but you know, you never know unless you, you reach out to, to try to see if they can offer something better. All right. I like that you mentioned the rate isn't the only thing. You know, like you said, it's helpful to have an experienced loan officer. It's also, I think, an underrated component to have a, you know a loan officer and a real estate agent that are on the same page and, and communicate well, so that things get done in time for closing. And then also on the rate side of things, like it's not like 
U.S. Bank has one rate. Bank of America has another rate. ABC Mortgage has another rate. Like, there's a sliding scale. Like, can you talk about either getting credits back um, for going with a higher rate or, or paying extra upfront to buying down and getting a potentially lower rate? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, I mean, the we use the term par pricing, right? So, par is going to mean hey, the borrower is not paying any money for the rate, and the bank's essentially not giving it a. We use the term concession. They're not giving up any, I guess you could say earnings, right, for, for giving that rate. And so uh, we usually look to do that par pricing. But again, if, if let's say, again, that client goes to mortgage.com and says, hey, you know, we, instead of, uh, you know, 5%, you know, we'll, we'll give you a 4.875, right? So that, that would be something where it's just more of a competitive match. But if, if the borrower um, wasn't able to find any, any better option and, uh, they want to, let's just use the, as an example, hypothetical example, rates at 4.875. They might say, well, how can I get down to, uh, you know, the next lowest rate? Typically, it's an eighth of a percentage. So you'd go down to 4.75. And I might say, okay, that's going to cost you one point. People go, what the heck? You know, what does that mean? What does a point mean? Right. So in, in the, in, as an example, let's say a loan was for, $400,000. One point would equate to uh, $4,000, right? So you would then say, okay, well, does that make any sense for me to do it? And I'm going to have to pull out my phone here real quick from the math. But let's say that, you know, the difference in the payment from 4.875 to 4.75 is, let's say, $75, okay? So if you divide 4,000 by 75, your break-even point's 53 months, so that's uh, 4.4 years. Probably not going to make a whole lot of sense to do that unless they're just saying, yep, 100%, this is my house. I'm going to be here for 30 years, right? I mean, as we all know, in two years, a lot of stuff can change, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I, that's usually my uh, kind of breaking point as far as where I feel like the client probably shouldn't pay for it. But, yeah, I mean, if it was eight months to break even, no brainer in my opinion, right? Because then you're starting to pay less in interest um, for for buying down that rate. Well, I've had scenarios where clients are shopping multiple banks and they'll send me two proposals. You know, one has a lower rate but higher upfront costs. The other has lower upfront costs but a higher rate. And it's like, well, what makes the most sense? Well, if you if you don't foresee yourself in this home long term, it might make sense to go with the higher rate, but less out of pocket up front. You know, because when you do that break even analysis, you know, you, you'll probably be out of the home, and you know, you're, you'd rather have the more money up front in your pocket. Whereas if you plan to be there long term, it, it could make sense to put more up front out of your pocket in order to get that lower rate. Because over the long run, the lower rate potentially could ultimately you know, make more sense. But yeah, case by case, everyone, every circumstance is a little different. Yep. And, and let me answer the second part of that because you were, you know, kind of talking about buying a rate, but then maybe a credit. So uh, just an example of a customer recently uh, where they uh, they were uh, buying a home in, uh, in Central Oregon and uh, they have a house here that they're going to be selling in the next year, right? And so he, he didn't really want to... Uh, he didn't really. He wanted to minimize what he needed to bring in for his closing, right? And so again, just a hypothetical rate. If let's say you know his rate was going to be at four percent for par pricing, again, where we talked about earlier, where it means you wouldn't, you know, you're not paying anything. He, he, I think he took a rate maybe of let's say four point seven five, but it also gave him, uh, it was like two and a half points of a credit, which was somewhere in the range of. In that scenario, it was like $15,000. So he ended up coming to the table with only his down payment because he was then going to, in the next year, pay it off. And so he didn't have to pay, really pay any money out of pocket. Right. So it really depends, like you just said, case-by-case case scenario where credits may or may, or may not make sense. Um, one thing I can tell you with U.S. Bank specifically is um, if, if you establish a checking account before closing, um, if your if your loan uh, you would get a quarter percent credit of your loan amount and no more than a thousand dollars. So almost every client that I work with would get some form of a credit just for basically establishing a relationship with us. 
Um, and so that's just kind of a nice little perk for your clients to know if they did ever go with us. Now, you know, if it's under 400,000, you know, obviously it's not going to be that thousand. It just would, it's a, again, a quarter percent of whatever the, the loan amount is, but just thought I'd throw it out there as a little, little perk, but yeah, good, good lesson on, uh, points and credits. <laughs> there we go. Casey, do you know how many times, I think this probably varies from bank to bank, but how many times can doctors generally use a doctor mortgage to finance a home purchase? Like, can they use it for a second home or even for a vacation home? So, you know, I can't speak, you know, for everyone, you know, uh, specifically for U.S. Bank, we only allow it for for primary residences. Um, But, you know, you might have something where you, you know, let's say you did a, a purchase with us and then, you know, Two years later, um, you decide that you want to move into a new uh, a new primary residence, right? Uh, you're still able to to use that as many times as you need for uh, a primary residence purchase. But when I say as many times as you need to give one actually added piece of information, we on our qualifications as far as you know who's eligible. Again, it's the MDs and the DOs, and then you have to either be within six months of the completing your residency or no more than 10 years out. Um, so you know, I shouldn't say you can use it forever, right? You, you can only use it essentially till, till 10 years out. Um, and, and again, that, that might vary from you know, lender to lender, but you know, that's just you know, US Bank's guidelines. But I think it's a pretty standard, uh, pretty standard guideline. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. A lot of places, you know, aren't going to let a doc 20 years in practice use their physician loan program because it's like, well, you've had 20 years at an attending level income. How come you haven't saved yeah. up more money yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about refinancing? Um, are there any special like doctor loan refinancing perks? Like, you know, typically you need the 20% down to do that too, or 20% equity. Can Are there any benefits or, or special doctor refinancing options? So it's it's really the exact same requirement as far as the you know the ten percent. So if you had uh, you know if you were at eighty four percent loan to value, right, you're still not meeting that twenty percent requirement. Um, but yeah, U.S. Bank basically will go up to uh, a combined loan to value of, of ninety percent and, and be willing to to refinance that. Um, one thing that I think is very uh, uncommon that people do not know about. That when we're dealing with that refinance piece is you might hear the term a client does a, um, an 80-10-10, right? And what that means is the the first mortgage that they would have is they would go to an 80% loan amount, right? Um, then there is a, they would do a sec, whether it's a second position uh, loan or a line of credit, right? That basically allowed them at that point to avoid the the mortgage insurance, right? Because that first mortgage was the, was the 80%. The second was just a standing line of credit. And then they put 10% down, right? You might think, well, okay, that's, that's fine. But some of them, depending on where rates may be, they might want to try to combine those two, right? And a lot of people would think that that is considered to be what we call a cash out refinance. So in the world of where you're trying to, um, Doing your refinances, it could just be rate and term where, hey, my rate's at 4%. I want to get it to 3.75. I'm going to refinance my loans, restart my term. That's a rate and term, right? But if you're ever adding any uh, debt to the first mortgage balance, it's typically considered uh, a cash out, right? And what, okay, well, what does that mean? It's usually going to give you a higher rate, right? But with, with the physician loan, if somebody has that first and second mortgage, as long as they, for as long as they on the loan um, used it to the uh, to obtain the you know the the purchase of the home um, or in a line of credit, if they haven't drawn on it for more than a year, those can be combined and treated as a rate and term refinance, right? So it's almost the same rate as you would have with a purchase, and so that's a, a great thing, especially for the for the lines of credit, right? Because on a second position mortgage, those are typically set rates. So you're not going to be as big of a uh, uh, trouble if, you know, if rates start to adjust. But on a line of credit, you know, they rate just went up last week by a quarter of a percent, 
So that's going to increase your payment on that home, that second position home equity line of credit. And they're talking about it going up, you know, four or five more times this year. And typically that's an extra quarter percent. So it's something that can be an, an awesome opportunity to get those two combined into a fixed rate and uh, not being worried about, oh my gosh, is my payment going to go up a hundred dollars next time? Is it going to go up 50? Um, so yeah, that, that was something that came to my mind when we were talking about the, the refinance piece that I, I think, like I said, a lot of people don't know. Uh, and, and I don't know that all lenders offer that, but uh, that's something that I, I found out probably in the last five years, you know, that first two years I was starting, I didn't even know it was an option, but it's an ever-changing world, just like for you guys and in, in, your, in your world as well. Absolutely. So switching gears a little bit, when we have you know new buyers coming to the table, sometimes they don't want to buy something that's available. They like want to build their own house. They want to do a custom house or new construction, and that can create problems sometimes with lending. Um, are there physician home loan options for that kind of a purchase? So for the new construction, and I'm going to kind of break it down in two two pieces. So when we're talking about you know new construction, hey, it's not going to be done. Or, or, or say not be done, but I'm picking out what I want. They're going to build it. It's going to be six months, you know, till it's done. Um, U.S. Bank actually has a construction loan product that we offer, right, where you have to provide the bank the blueprints. You have to provide them the builder. They have to be part of our approved list. Um, that's not something that is part of the physician loan world. But in the construction loan world, we actually – and don't quote me on this, but I believe up to 650000 you're only required to put 10% down, and there is no mortgage insurance. Biggest reason on that is because being that it's new construction, it's a little riskier. There's not a lot of private mortgage insurance companies out there that are going to want to take that on, right? So you typically are going to have a little bit of a higher rate than you normally would for just a standard uh a standard loan, right? But what you can do is after the fact, when it's finally completed, you know, if the rate's advantageous, you can go back and you know, refinance that construction loan down to a more favorable rate. But uh, so, it, you know, there is no physician products, but it's the same pay, you know, same 10% down requirement, right? Well, the, I guess the refi at the end could be the physician loan version, right? Potentially, or... There you go. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need to need to do my job. Yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, it's just not something I really ha came across with that question. Um, but yeah, that's a great idea. Um, it, but then there's this the second piece that I was going to say where it might be something where you have found uh, you know a development and you know the builder you know has all these houses available and. Um, you know, you're not necessarily having to get blueprints and all that available. They're like, hey, this is option one, this is option two. And um, and again, hey, maybe it's not done for six months or, or whatnot. But in that type of a situation, that's where you would be able to use the physician loan, right? Because it's just a standard, uh, it's a standard uh, purchase requirement where you're not needing to use the construction loan product that we have because it's being financed by by the builder and the, and the construction part essentially the bank is financing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like new development spec homes versus a custom build. That exactly. Start, yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Sense. So, but again, that's a, I'll have to remember that about the new construction piece. So you, you taught me something today, Corey. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I think most people that embark on those custom builds, they probably, it's not usually their first home They're, they've got some money available and, you know, they maybe have some equity in the home they're selling or something. So probably not super common where they're trying to do it with only 10% down. Yeah. So plus if you have to buy the land for it too, I think there's some additional requirements for purchasing the land to begin with. Um, anyways, we're kind of getting off topic. Um, what about like, uh, tips for prospective home buyers to do ahead of time? You know, what are some, some smart things and what are some no-nos to try and avoid to make sure you can qualify for the, the, the best loan possible and ultimately close on the house that you want? Yeah. Well, the, you know, the first response to that, which might seem like a completely obvious thing, but talk with the lender first. 
<laughs> you know, because there's some people I think that like we just you know this is a house we want and we're gonna we're gonna put it an offer and it's like well can one can you afford it and what somebody thinks they can afford and what actually you know our requirements are could be two two totally different things right so you know just making sure you talk to the lender to figure out how much you can afford see if it and you also think the thing that's important is you know when we say can you afford it you know when we're when we're looking at a debt to income ratio uh, most often it would be at 43%, right? Well, we might say, oh yeah, well that, that works. Like you're qualified, but then you look at your lifestyle and the other things you do, right? You go out to a basketball game or you go out to a play or you, you go grab Maybe drinks you even friend, save for or retirement. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, it's one of those where, you know, it, it may not make sense for you, even though you thought, well, yeah, we can afford this. Right. So and uh, so I think it's just important to do that and maybe sit down with their financial advisor and see what they think, right? Um, and then the other thing, too, is uh, make sure you check your credit score, right? Because a lot of people, you know, busy busy with their kids and busy with other things and may have, may have not realized, oh, my gosh, I forgot a payment on something and, you know, uh, you know, messed up their credit and now they're gonna have to build it you know build it back up and so you know make sure you check it ahead of time not you know a week or two but you know if you have something in mind hey in the next year we you know we want to we want to look to buy something check it every couple months make sure there's not something that happened because it would hate to i'd hate to have it happen where you're ready to buy go talk to your lender and they say oh yeah this isn't happening so you know just just be be cautious of that and then uh rochelle i, I think you mentioned it earlier but you know, or maybe it was Corey, I can't remember which one of you, but talking about finding the right agent. Like I said earlier about finding the right lender, you know, make sure you find a, an agent that is familiar with the area that you're looking in. Um, you know, if you are, you know, that, that physician, maybe they've had more experience with, you know, working with, you know, physicians that are, re, you know, relocating. Like I worked with a, a girl that did that and she would go pick some, pick them up at the airport because they were finishing their schooling. You know, it's like, you know, find somebody that really is educated uh, and really understands the whole picture of, of what you're you're looking to do because there, there's plenty of you know plenty of realtors out there that um, you know that that are I'll just leave it at that they're <laughs> they're, 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 they're gonna say. <laughs> there's a good recent South Park episode about uh, about that <laughs> uh, anyways um, yeah I, I would say it, it, my order of operations would be, like you said, talk to your financial advisor first to see what you can afford because the <laughs> bank will approve you for more than we would approve you for. Then talk to the mortgage person, get pre-approved, you know, have the mortgage person refer you to a real estate agent if you know it's in the same local area because, again, they'll, they'll be familiar with each other and play nice together and it'll go smoother that way. And then go house shopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Casey, when you're talking about credit and stuff like that, are there minimum credit scores that people should be looking to build? And if it's lower than that, what are some ways that they can potentially improve their credits? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, always a minimum score. Um, so for, again, this is just specific to U.S. Bank, can be different for other lenders. But for us, uh, the, the typical uh, score would be seven, 710, right? Uh, now, when loans uh, exceed a million, it does require a little higher uh, score of uh, 720, you know, 10 points higher. So, so not a huge difference. Um, but as far as, you know, some type of tips, if you are struggling and need to figure out a way to, uh, to increase your, your credit, you know, I have to share a story with my best friend. It's probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. And I wasn't even in mortgage at that point. You know, I was in the, I was a personal banker for seven years. So, uh, or, six years, excuse me. So total of 13 years at the bank. Right. And, uh, when I was a banker, I was talking to my best friend and, uh, you know, he was talking about his credit score and you know, I think it was 680, 660, 680, something like that, which still, you know, that on a grade scale, you might put it at like a, you know, C, C minus. Um, but that would still qualify you for, for most mortgages. But I had told him, I said, you know, how much do you have? I know I said this personal question, but I was like, you know, how much do you have as far as, a limit on your credit card and you only had one card 
I think it was a thousand dollars, right? And he had a five hundred dollar balance on it. And I said, "Oh my gosh!" I was like, you, "You're, you know, why your score's down?" Is I said because your utilization is fifty percent, right? And so thirty five percent, or excuse me, thirty percent of your overall credit score is utilization. Right, and so the industry average they will always say is you don't typically going to be any higher than thirty percent, right? So I said, go call the bank, and I said, ask him for a credit increase. He had started a, a, a job that was paying him a little bit more, and so he was able to, you know, to give him that information, and I think it increased him up to like ten thousand dollars. So he went from a fifty percent utilization to uh, uh, is my math right? Five percent. Yeah. yeah, and his score in the next month skyrocketed, right? So that's a, that is absolutely the easiest step if you have some you know balance on your card is to just increase it. Now, obviously, if you do have some and you already have a you know a higher limit, then the goal would be you know maybe before you buy that house, get that some of that debt paid down to where you get a, a little bit more favorable debt to credit percentage. Right, uh, because like I said, thirty percent is the the debt to credit. Thirty five percent is your payment history, but you really can't do anything about payment history. If you had a late payment, you just got to let time go by. And unfortunately, it's about seven years before that drops off. So you know, if you if you had a, a boo boo, well, just don't do it again and move on. Right. Um, and then you know the other the other pieces of the makeup is fifteen percent length of history. You can't really you know, make credit be longer except for letting time go by. Uh, the types is 10%. So like if you have a car loan, you have a student loan, you have a credit card, uh, you know, the, the more diversified that you can be with your credit, it shows the credit, you know, companies that you can handle different types of payments monthly, right? And then increase is 10%. So don't, don't do a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different increase if you don't have to. And kind of a little off topic of, you know, of, way to increase your credit, but comment about the increase. A lot of people ask about, uh, you know, oh, should I, you know, I don't want to go to three different mortgage companies because my credit's just going to get, you know, hammered. As long as that those increase are within, you know, the same month and it's mortgage increase, the credit company understands that people are going to go out and shop. And so I get that question a lot is, well, you know, I, I don't know if I should have my credit pulled. It's like, well, to get qualified, I mean, you have to, right? But if you've already gone to two other places, I, I typically tell them, don't worry about it. it it's not going to harm you as much as you may think. And again, it's only 10% of your your score. So um, yeah, we always tell people just not to spread that out too much. It's like, you don't want to like do yeah. one bank one month and then another bank the next month and then another bank the next month. Yep. Yep. Have you seen any home purchases or I guess loans derailed by something the borrower did and uh, I guess so what what's the list of what not to do what sh what should you avoid doing if you're you know applying and, and trying to purchase and close on a home yeah I mean I think for the most part we all could have a pretty good guess on what it would be but don't go buy that new furniture before your house is you know is is uh or your loan is done and put it on your credit card right because what happens is <laughs> You know, the credit report is good for 90 days from the day that we start the pre-approval process, right? But if, you know, let's say it took you 60 days to, or let's say 65 days to find a house, you do a 30-day close, well, they're going to have to pull a credit five days before closing because that credit report would have expired. And if you went out and spent money on new furniture and, you know, added a $200 a month, you know, payment to your 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 debts that could kick you out of being qualified i personally have not had that happen and I, you know i always appreciate clients that will reach out and say hey i'm going to go do this will it be an issue and, and you know most often i haven't had that uh haven't had that happen um but that was one the other thing which isn't as necessarily a huge deal but it's something it would be ideal not to is try not to switch a job in the middle of a you know, of a, of a loan approval. Uh, I actually have a client that is closing tomorrow on their loan and he was talking about switching. Um, but, uh, I told, I said, if, you know, if it's not something that you have to absolutely do, let's try to hold it off. Cause then we have to, 
you know, get a contract from the employer. And then we have to reach out and get the verification of employment. And then it, again, not just a little bit more work, but that, that would just be something I would say, try to avoid if you can. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as anything else, uh, fortunately, I haven't I had think any, one thing that's, you know, horror Yeah. One thing I think about with our clients is like thinking about refinancing student loans because that comes up a lot for people, not so much in the last couple of years, but you know, a refinance student loan payment can be huge. So yeah. definitely not something we encourage people to do at the same time. <laughs> it's like sure. you, know, you do one, then you do the other. Don't do them both at the same time. Sure. You you know, and, and actually one thing I want to bring up that I'm really glad you made a comment about student loans, uh, Rochelle, is mm-hmm. uh, as we heard yesterday, I believe, yeah. um, they're extending the forbearance until August. End of August, yeah. End of August, yeah. But one thing that's important to know right now, and this just would be per, for prospective buyers basically from now and until that point, and, you know, who knows, it may get extended again, but a lot of people that I've, I've had to deal with in the last two years because of that um, don't really think about the payment. Um, so, you know, let's just say you had you know two different loans for $20,000. And, you know, when I talked to you and was asking about, okay, you know what, you know, what payments do you have? Cause I like to verbally pre-qualify somebody say, okay, how much do you make? You know, okay. If this is your mortgage payment, this is a dollar amount, you know, how much are your student loans, how much are your car loans, Right. I like to do that before they apply. And a lot of clients will say, oh, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have any. Um, and then come to find out when I pull their credit, they do. And I think they're thinking in their mind, oh, I don't have any because I'm not paying on it right now. Right. Well, what happens is when we're qualifying them from the lender standpoint, if it shows zero dollars on their credit report, we're going to hit them with a two percent repayment. Right. So if you're looking at two loans for twenty thousand dollars, that's four hundred dollars a month each a month, right? And that could completely kick them out of being qualified, right? So the way we can get around that is if they're able to uh, reach out to that lender and show what the payment would be when it comes out of forbearance, then we're able to use that. And a lot of times it's a lot lower. It may be, you know, $125 on each. So you're talking about $250 instead of, you know, 800. But I think that's a really important thing right now for people to know is, uh, you know, we got to count the 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 student loan debt payments if you know if they're not reporting on the on the bureau so that makes sense they still exist you still have to make those payments at some point yeah 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 then i guess i know every lender is going to be different but there is there a maximum amount that doctors can finance through the doctor program yeah, great question. So with that that ten percent down, like I said, which with us is the is the lowest we have available. Um, the maximum loan amount that we will do, not purchase price, but the maximum loan amount with ten percent down would be uh, a million. And then once it exceeds the uh, once it exceeds that at fifteen uh, percent down, which would still you know avoid mortgage insurance with the product, one point five. Right. And then after that, basically anything 1.5 and above would require the the 20%. So, Casey, is there anything that we didn't ask about that you think would be good for the listeners to know? Uh, you know, I think you pretty much covered it. Oh, the one comment that you had made, um, again, not really related to physician loans, but you had, I think Corey had brought up something about um uh lots right we were talking about the new construction all that stuff um u.s bank does offer lot loan financing right so if you ever have a client that is just looking for purchasing bare land um it's again it's not anything related to using the physician loan product but you know with how the market is with inventory right now i've actually had a lot of clients lately that are just purchasing land and then we'll look into building on that with typically within the next three years or so. Um, so, you know, low inventory, it's something that could just be beneficial, hold on to it for a little bit. And then when stuff potentially cools down, you, you start to build that, you know, maybe that dream home on it. Um, but other than that, uh, I think like Corey said, I mean, you know, I said I can lend in all states other than uh 
New York for purchases and Texas for refinances, but I, I've done loans in Colorado, Virginia, Florida, uh, you know, uh, South Carolina. So I, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of experience in, in, in that. And I think it's important because there's different rules in different states too. Um, so again, going back to somebody, uh, that knows what they're doing in regards to the lender is, is a, is an important, uh, important piece. And, uh, yeah, just being available. I mean, that's the thing I tell my clients is, you know, right now I don't have kids. And so if there's ever, you know, they need to call me on the weekend, they need to call me at nine o'clock at night. You know, I'm happy to, to answer it if they're on the East coast, you know, or they're in Hawaii, you know, I, I don't care when it is. I, I'm going to get back to you as soon as I can. Cause it, it's a tough market and time is time is of the essence. I think one thing worth bringing up, you know, whether it's U S bank or any, lender you can't just like call them up or walk into your local branch and say hey i'm a doctor i want to get a mortgage with your doctor mortgages they're like they'll look at you like okay yeah we give doctors mortgages all the time like most likely they're not going to be familiar with that doctor specific loan program so you need to find that individual human at the bank who is familiar with the doctor mortgage program um you know, it's maybe not quite as hard as finding a needle in a haystack, but at a large institution like the big banks, it, it kind of is similar to that if you're just calling cold. So, you know, helpful to, to you know, whether it's the internet or, you know, resources like Rochelle and I, we've got you know, contacts at a lot of different institutions that, that are familiar with that doctor loan program. And because uh, otherwise it's, you're, you're not going to get the same treatment probably. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thanks, thanks for, for coming on, us. Casey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I appreciate the opportunity. And obviously, if any of your clients have questions, you know, happy to help answer. And if not, just uh, glad we are finally able to get this done after two years. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, have a good one. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.